Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> I want to keep uh, before you the upcoming fourth, or really depends on if you count Good Friday, and if you count um, the resurrection on Easter Sunday as two events. We have Christmas, and we have the death of Jesus on Good Friday. We have Easter resurrection, and then 50 days following Easter, according to the Jewish calendar, we have, and I think we're fine um, over here, so <clears throat> grateful for, by the way, I'm grateful for the group that we have that takes care of everything around here, both security and also any medical issues. <clears throat> 50 days after Easter is <clears throat> the day called Pentecost. Now, Pentecost comes from the word 50. So there's nothing significant um, or hugely spiritual in the name. <clears throat> it's just that it is, in the Jewish calendar, seven Sabbaths after Passover Sabbath. The Christian calendar, God using that, the Christian calendar then absorbed that 50th Sunday, not Saturday the Sabbath, but Sunday, 50 days following the resurrection <clears throat> as the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon us, which had been prophesied all through the Old Testament. I said last week in introducing the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost that through the Old Testament Jesus or the Holy Spirit was present but not prominent. I'm not contradicting that but I want to make clear that the Holy Spirit was in a sense just beneath the, the surface of sight active all the time. He just was pointing to other things, representing primarily the Father. So there's some things uh, quickly in the way of kind of review. And then I want to look at fundamentally this, these two questions. What, who is the Holy Spirit and what does He do? When we're told, I'm going to pour out my Spirit upon all mankind... Who is he? What does he do? What's his function? Let me reread just a couple of the scriptures that I used last week from the Old Testament. The prophet Ezekiel, For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone 
from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers. So you will be my people and I will be your God. Now, once again, as when we were looking at why Jesus had to come and go to the cross, why he came clothed in a human body and suffered on the cross and rose from the dead, why did he have to do that? It necessitates that we look at the issue of the Trinity. Now, the Trinity is not understandable by us. We can't really grasp it. But the Trinity is one of, even though the word Trinity itself does not occur in the Bible, nevertheless the concept is so unavoidable that it has to be believed, even if it seems to be beyond my ability to absorb it, my ability to get a hold of it. We have one God. We do not worship three gods. Yet, gods within gods, what's called the Godhead, there are three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The persons of the Godhead, in this case, the Holy Spirit, is co-equal with the Father and the Son, co-eternal with the Father and the Son, and third, co-essential, meaning as, as the Father is God, is deity, so is the Son, and so is the Holy Spirit. So we speak of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We can explain the roles that the three persons of the Trinity fill in relation to us. And specifically, we saw the three roles in creation. It's clearly spelled out in Genesis 1, the first three verses. But soon, we don't know when, after the creation, sin entered into the world. We fell from our righteousness and became deeply estranged and hostile to God. Now, the primary, then, context of the three persons of the Trinity and how we are related to the three persons of the Trinity is known in the context of salvation. This is the primary way we understand the three persons of the Trinity. It's in the context of God calling back a rebellious race that he created and not only forgiving and reconciling us to him, but cleansing us 
ridding us of the hostility to him. And it's like this scripture says, I'll cleanse, I'll sprinkle you with clean water and cleanse you from all your filthiness. Our hearts have become filthy, but God can sprinkle them with clean water and cleanse us. So we learn about God and the three persons within we worship one God, but the three persons within the Godhead we learn almost exclusively then in the context of redeeming us out of sin. Now, <clears throat> the role of the Holy Spirit, who is He? First, He's the third person of the Trinity. Again, being co-equal, there's nothing that He is mentioned third. doesn't mean that he, there's a totem pole. There is no totem pole with God. The Holy Spirit is everywhere spoken of as being God in the same sentences. One example, when Ananias and Sapphira in the brand new Jerusalem church, when the church was just getting on its feet after the resurrection, after the day of Pentecost and the gospel spreading and converts rapidly being added to the church, People were voluntarily selling extra property, extra goods they didn't need. They were taking the money, bringing it to the apostles, laying it at their feet for the common use of caring for each other as believers. Okay, And apparently, people thought highly of others who did that and so Ananias and Sapphira did their best to get in on the act and they came to Peter and they said we sold some property and here's the proceeds from that and you know we're giving that Peter violating all the rules of church growth um, said did you sell, is this the whole price? Now, you might think, well, you know, what business is it his? He knew the Holy Spirit just plain told him that they were deceiving and they were trying to act as if they were, they were hypocrites. Let's just say they sold it for $10,000. They came with 3000 and they said, here it is, God bless you and so forth. And Peter says, is that how much you sold the property for? Yes, it is. He said, well, you lied. He said, who's filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You haven't lied to man, meaning me. You've lied to God. The same sentence. He says, you lied to the Holy Spirit. You lied to God. Upon which Ananias immediately fell to the ground, dead as a mackerel. Okay. A couple of guys in the outer court, wherever they were, hauled him out and buried him. His wife didn't know anything about it. Three, three hours later, she comes in. Peter says, tell me, the money that you just donated, did you sell the property for so much? Yes, we did. 
says the same thing to her. He says, Satan's, how did Satan fill your heart to scheme with your husband to lie, same words, lie to God? Whereupon she fell down, dead. And it says, the young men, who are they were, came in, gathered up, took her out, buried her next to her husband. Then there's an interesting verse. It makes perfect sense. Great fear <laughs> fell upon everyone. <laughs> okay? Um, sometimes I wouldn't mind seeing a return of some of those days. But anyway, the point being, everywhere in Scripture, the Holy Spirit is referred to as God. So, whether we can grasp that completely or not is really not the issue. The Bible's so clear that it is a doctrine to be believed. It is a truth to be accepted. Now, the role, really, of the Holy Spirit, we could put it this way, and we have to simplify this for all of us. The Holy Spirit is the representative of, the spokesman for, the Father and the Son. He is the one who speaks to us on the Father and the Son's behalf. Okay, He's the one that makes the Father and the Son real to us. The Holy Spirit <clears throat> then <clears throat> speaks to us, and I want you to keep this train of thought if you can, speaks to us and represents the Father and the Son and keeps us alive. That's one of the reasons Jesus said, if I do not return to the Father, the Spirit, the Comforter, the Helper will not come into the world. But if I return to the Father, He will come in my place. He's, Jesus said, I won't leave you orphans. I'll send the Holy Spirit to you. And he said this, He will convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. He said He will convince the, the middle one, sin, righteousness, judgment. He will convict you of righteousness. He said, because I am leaving and returning to my Father. In other words, Jesus will no longer locally be here in the world for us to see him, hear him, watch what he does, and demonstrate and portray to us righteousness. The Holy Spirit, then, is the great reminder of Christ. It's written at the mouth of the Holy Spirit in this book. And I can read and understand what does it mean to be like Jesus. Well, it's written here, and the Holy Spirit reminds me, because Christ no longer walks on this earth, but the Holy Spirit keeps his memory alive. That's one of his functions. Keep the Father and the Son real to us and speak to us on behalf of the Father and the Son. The second, a second major role of the Holy Spirit is to apply in our hearts and in our lives all of the benefits of salvation resulting from the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. 
Jesus came and made atonement for us. He made the possibility of reconciling with God, from whom we had deeply revolted. The Holy Spirit is the one that applies those benefits to us. He draws us, calls us, awakens our conscience. He troubles our conscience. He keeps before us oughts. O-U-G-H-T. He's the one, there's a, in, in every human being, even the darkest of lack of spiritual light, the Holy Spirit is the one who keeps alive in us the oughts and the shoulds. Even without knowledge, even without a Bible, there's a dim, yes, but not, but bright enough. I shouldn't do that. I ought to do this. We see people who know nothing, never darkened the day of a church, dark door of a church, never read scripture, never yet. That's wrong, they'll say. Where'd they get that? The Holy Spirit. No one else. That's his office, his function, his role is to awaken and keep awake with us, within us, a conscience. It is that, and before Disney became totally worthless, even in old films, Pinocchio, um, Jiminy Cricket said, everyone has a conscience. And then he defined it. It's that still, small voice. That's straight out of the King James translation of the Bible. From the words of Elijah. That still, small voice. Everybody knows about it. That's the Holy Spirit. It's his function to call an entire humanity back to God, back to right and wrong, back to righteousness and goodness and truth. That's his function. Now, he initiates that. No human heart, well, let's put it back in a different way. Every human heart is so darkened by the absence of light, spiritual light, that we never initiate seeking after God. We don't initiate starting to think about God and how do I relate to Him and whether He's pleased with me or whether He's not pleased with me and sense a conscience that is accusing me. We don't initiate that. We are dead, spiritually dead. Scripture says several places. We're dead in trespasses and sins. We are, and I, I know we all have had the experience, depending on the relation of a person to us, we've looked on the face of someone whose spirit has returned to God and whose body is still here. 
And that person, how dear they were to us, doesn't respond. We look at that person who would previously speak to us. Eyes would brighten when we saw each other. Now, there's nothing. There's a reason why Jesus, in His ministry, the apostles, always spoke in spiritual terms that we were just like that in relation to God. No response. There's nothing there. Left in that state, we would never find God, obviously. But the Holy Spirit has been sent into this world to awaken us and to make us aware that there is a God and that I am under an obligation to Him. Not only does He make me aware of God, but with that awareness, God never fails. The Holy Spirit always injects into that awareness a sense of oughtness, obligation. I can't get away from Him. In other words, not only His presence, but it's like Hebrews says, <clears throat> that we will, all will give account, it says, with the one with whom we have to do. In other words, i got to deal with Him. There is a haunting scripture to me and a, um, such an instructive scripture in Matthew. It just simply says this. When Jesus was hauled in before Pilate and Pilate made all of his attempts to try to avoid him, but he kept coming back to him, there is a little sentence. It says, and Jesus stood before the governor. Pilate was washing his hands, trying to physically illustrate, I, I don't have anything to do with this. I don't want anything to do with him. I don't find any fault with him. You deal with him. I don't want to deal with him. You and I can't do that because Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, stands before us. I can't avoid him. I have to deal with him. So not only does the Holy Spirit make us aware that there's a God and that he's paying attention to us, and he's keeping really good records. But he's also, really what God does, it's like backing a cow into the corner of a fence. You can't get away from him. You will deal with him. I was reading just the other day. After, once again, foolishly, which I generally do every day, Foolishly falling into the habit of watching the news. And then trying to dig myself out of a hole. You know what I mean? But ran across the scripture and it just encouraged me. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
And I thought of that. Not in a sense. It's very clear there. That's not voluntary. Believers have voluntarily bowed the knee. But everybody else, I've seen little parents sometimes, you know, to a little child, top of their head, no, you sit down there. You ever seen their neck kind of go like this? I'm not talking about breaking their neck, but I mean, they're going down. That's exactly what that verse means. If he has to come around behind to the back of your knee, you're going down. Every knee shall bow. There's no merit to it. There's no credit to those who are forced to their knees and their tongue forced to confess that Jesus is God. But what does it say? God, finally, he's still God. He is now. So here's what it boils down to. Everybody is going to bow the knee to God. Do you do it now voluntarily? When it saves me? Or do we stiff-neckedly walk through this life until finally we go to our knees forced by God, but it has no benefit? It doesn't save me. Because I didn't do it voluntarily. I didn't obey Him. The Holy Spirit, in a sense, has differing roles. His main role is to represent the Father and the Son. And to unbelievers, there's a specific kind of role. And then to believers, there's a different role. The Holy Spirit, of course, as I've been saying, to the lost, He awakens us, He calls us, draws us, informs us, enlightens us, chastens us, rebukes us, stalks us. He knows when to catch us in stillness. It may only be in the middle of the night. God had a little easier time getting to hearts back before we had social media. In the 60s, when I was running from God, which is an oxymoron <laughs> because He's everywhere, it's kind of tough to run from somebody who's everywhere. You know, it reminds me too, I read not too long ago, we've all heard what the Native Americans' terms they used about God, great white spirit, so forth. But there was, there was um, locally, I mean out here in the Mountain West and the Northern Plains, the Lakota had a term, interesting term. They just called him the everywhere spirit. That's interesting. Following the herds, nomadically going Hundreds of miles. He was always there. The theological term for that is omnipresence. Everywhere present. 
You can't get away from him. David said in Psalm 139, Where will I go from your presence? If I go, if I take the wings of the morning and fly to the uttermost islands, you are there. No matter where we go, he's there. I can't get away from him. It's bad for us if we want to get away from him. How comforting it is for those who don't want to get away from him. Who love him. He's always there. Always. So the Holy Spirit draws, calls, enlightens, initiates the unbelievers. Now, let me just take a second here and remind us. This, I hope you can see, with this particular role of the Holy Spirit to call, draw, and awaken, and enlighten unbelievers. This is why Jesus said, whatever you might say against the Father, it can be forgiven. Whatever you say about the Son, Jesus, it can be forgiven. But he said, whatever you say in blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, it will never be forgiven. Ever. It is irreversibly fatal. It's only against the Spirit. Why? Because he's, he's the voice. He's the caller to me, sent by the Father and the Son. You cut him off, you're done. That's why he said, don't you speak against the Holy Spirit. You do, and you're finished. You may live 60 more years, but you're going to go to hell. You're done. A good illustration of that, frightening one, Herod. God sent the Holy Spirit's voice to Herod in the person of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist confronted Herod dead on, rebuked him for his sin. He and his wife, more so his wife, hated John to death. And we know that Herod had a booze birthday party for himself, which is kind of pathetic right there. You've got to hold your own birthday party. But anyway, he held this party and had everybody there. And his stepdaughter came in and danced for him. And, the, you know, he was a, a boozy lech. And somehow he said, it says, she pleased them when she danced. I'm sure it was some kind of ballroom dancing. And so the lech says, what can I give you? Up to the half of my kingdom. She says, let me go ask my mom. She goes and asks her mother and she says, with, I'm sure, gritted teeth, here's my chance. You tell him you want John the Baptist's head on a platter right now. 
Herod secretly didn't want to do it. He was a coward. He said for those that sat at table with him, he didn't want to look bad, didn't want to look like he wasn't tough. So yeah, do it. And they did. Beheaded John in prison. Not very long later, it says Herod greatly desired, heard all kinds of reports about Jesus, greatly desired to see him, to talk to him. And at the trial, before Pilate, Pilate in one of his other efforts to get out of dealing with Jesus, found out that he'd been born in Galilee, which was Herod's territory, and boy, just like, hey, go, I'm Herod, this is your guy. You deal with him. Said Herod was glad because a long time he had wished to see and hear Jesus, and it says, possibly perform a sign. And it says he pressed him with many questions. And you know what the scripture says. And Jesus answered him not one word. Why? He cut the voice off to him. He cut the Holy Spirit's voice off to him through John and he never heard another word. That's why that singular and we might think unusual statement of Jesus. You can say whatever about the Father and if you repent, He'll forgive you. You can say whatever about me and to me. You repent and I'll forgive you. But you do that to the Holy Spirit, you resist Him, speak lightly and irreligiously and sacrilegiously about Him, and you're done. That needs to sink in. Now, for believers, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is the direct one who, first of all, helps us come to repentance, helps us repent, helps us become sorry enough for our sins that we want to quit. He's the one who helps us repent, and we have to believe. He helps us believe. We have to turn from all known sin, and He helps us do that. And the Scripture says the Spirit comes into our heart in, and calls Him the Spirit of adoption. He assures us and confirms to us that our sins are forgiven, that our record has been cleared. Romans calls it the witness of the Spirit. And he tells me, I am born of God. And that I am I'm a member of a brand new spiritual family. I'm a Christian. I'm a child of God. The Holy Spirit is the one who tells me that. He's the one who continues to monitor us. He comforts us when we're in distress. He corrects us when He sees us edging off to one or the other side of the road, the spiritual road. 
He's the one who hey, 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 hey. Isaiah, clear back in the Old Testament, said, if you start turning aside to the right hand or to the left hand towards the ditch, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. He corrects, he convicts, he checks us. You ever felt that sense as you were just about to say or do something and that just, just kind of a check? Don't say that. Ever gone ahead and said it? Do you know what that feels like? It's the same Holy Spirit coming right back around to the other ear saying, I told you not to say it. That's the Holy Spirit. He lives within my heart. Brings scripture to my mind. Enables me to answer, to give an answer, Peter said, to those who ask you, why are you a Christian? What gives you the strength that you seem to have that others don't to go through this or that? And he's that ready word that he gives you to explain that you didn't even think of three seconds before. That's the Holy Spirit. And he's the one. Jesus, Jesus told us. He said, even if you are hauled in before kings and governors who are about to try you or persecute you for being a Christian, he says, don't even think, don't worry about what to say. It says, because it will be given you in that very same moment what to say. And then he says this, because it is not you speaking, but the spirit of my father who is in you. That's where for the Christian, those words just seem to come to you when I need them. And when someone needs a word, the Holy Spirit does that. He is the one. He guides us. And I know that we can get weird. Um, so don't get weird. But we can. <clears throat> I'm not ever talking about, you know, do I get, you know, do I get Kroger brand toothbrush, or should I get, you know, um, Colgate, or should I get soft or medium? You know, and I, I listen, I know people that are, oh, what's the Holy Spirit? Don't, don't get weird. But, at the same time, don't marry something, don't marry somebody, don't choose to go to some college, don't buy some monster thing, don't pick up and move to where. Don't do that without consulting the Holy Spirit. There are many times, and they're in Scripture, where people, even good people, relied on their own judgment and did not ask God. And in some of those cases, do you know what's interesting, and I don't know the reason, God didn't tell them. 
He didn't barge into their consciousness and say, hey, 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 I see what you're about to do. Don't do that. There were there sometimes he said, okay, you think you know and you didn't really wait on me and ask me? Okay, have at it. And that's led in one particular case to 400 years of trouble with a particular race and tribe of people in the promised land because dear, dear Joshua and the elders relied on their own judgment and didn't ask God if they ought to make a treaty with these guys. And it turned out they were a thorn in their sides as a nation for 400 years. Don't do stuff without asking God repeatedly until you're sure this is of God. Because He's my guide. He's my guide. Don't be like... I've never done this. But don't be like a lot of men are who never consult a map or won't ask their wife for directions. Okay, We joke about that and we say... What, you know, what do they make maps for? So you can find your way. Who heads out and never consults the map? The Holy Spirit is the map printer. He's, he has the contract for it. He knows the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And it's His Spirit that leads us. That's his job. And what's he doing? He is a couple of illustrations, but one of them that's used in the New Testament. It's that of a ship on the wide seas, easy to be lost, that the Holy Spirit brings me, it says, to my safe haven. Heaven. So when he says correct by a degree, do it. <laughs> well, it's only a degree or two degrees. I'm not going to get that far off. Do it. He's trying to get me to my safe haven. He's trying to get me to heaven. That's a bit of who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. And it's this spirit that Jesus said, after I have risen from the dead and ascended back into heaven, he said, I will send him to you. That's what he did on the day of Pentecost. I have to quit. The Lord willing will pick up here for next Sunday and move on to some more maybe localized, individualized things he does for and in us. So Dan, if you'll come and dismiss us with prayer, please. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, that's one thing that I've always been thankful for is the promise that you fulfill many promises to us, Lord, but the promise of Jesus sitting with his disciples and telling them that he will not leave them as orphans, but that the Father will send back the helper, your Holy Spirit. And I am so grateful for that fulfilled promise as believers, Lord, where you you dwell in us, you rest in us. There's an inner ministry in our hearts from you. So this morning, Lord, as we hear all that we've heard about your spirit, I guess to close, I would just pray this, Lord, for those that, be- for those that are believers that have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, that have experienced your Holy Spirit dwelling within our hearts, that inner ministry that we know about, that, we are, that we've experienced. Simply put, Lord, help us not to negotiate with you. When you speak to us, you've already given us the grace to be obedient. Just help us be obedient, Lord, to you. Help us not to negotiate with you. When you say, turn this way or turn that way, do this, don't do that, just by your grace, help us. You give us a peace in our heart because of that, and for that we are grateful because as we just learned, the end goal of your Holy Spirit is that we may be guided through this life on this side of heaven and one day hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, simply because of our obedience to your voice and your guidance. No, we love you, and we are grateful, Lord, for that promise that you fulfilled. Now help us to walk in that way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.